Thank you for tuning in to the Access Church Podcast of the Week. We hope that you are both challenged and encouraged by this message. Over the next several months, you say months, you're really thinking that far ahead. Yeah, kind of. Uh, over the next several months, what we're going to be doing uh, four or so weeks at a time is we're going to be talking specifically about some subjects from Scripture that as I've been praying, I just really want to drill down on. What does God's word say about divine healing? What does God's word say about faith? What does God's word say about my life as a mission? What does God's word say starting today on financial freedom? And for the next several months, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be breaking uh, this teaching series down in about four or so weeks at a time and really diving into what does the Bible say? If my life is to be rooted in the word, what do I believe? What do I believe about healing? What do I believe about faith? What do I believe about God's provision, financial freedom? Say what you want. No chains, you know, they're all gone. But the reality is that might not necessarily be true when you talk about your bank account. And so we really need to get into what does God's word say? And uh, just kind of drilling down on that for the next uh, several weeks. So that's what we're going to be doing. Looking forward to it. If I were to ask you the question today, uh, you know, what is a symbol of freedom? What would come to mind? Some people would say it's the American flag. Other people, maybe if you're a high school student, you'd say car keys are a symbol of freedom. Get out of the house and do my thing. If you're a college student, you'd say maybe a diploma is a sense of freedom towards your future. Maybe you'd say it's something like the Liberty Bell or the Bald Eagle. I wonder how many Christians would associate the word money and associate that with the word freedom. Would you even put those two things in the same thought? And yet I believe that you are to be free in every area of your life. You're to have a functioning faith, a faith that actually, it works in your life. And so we're going to talk about that related to healing and and so many other things, but we're going to start by talking about faith. There was a little boy that wanted $100 so badly that he prayed for about two weeks for $100, and it didn't happen. So eventually, he wrote a letter to the Lord, drops it off in the mail, and as it gets to the post office, they decide, you know what, we're just going to forward this to the White House. I mean, where else are we going to send it? President Clinton receives the letter and is so touched by this letter that this little boy wrote to the Lord that he decides that he's going to have his chief of staff put a $5 bill in and send it to this kid who wrote a letter requesting $100 from the Lord. The little boy gets the letter in the mail and uh, you know, as he, as he reads the letter, he pulls out the $5 bill and he decides he's going to write a second letter to the Lord because this clearly didn't work. To which he said, dear Lord, thank you so much for sending me the money. However, I noticed that for some reason you sent it through Washington and those jerks deducted $95. <laughs> so that's all I got. Let's pray. You know, last time I told a joke, it went over like a lead balloon. So I was like, man, two in a row. I hope we. Financial freedom. You know, for me personally, I think this is a subject that I'm not super stressed about. 
You know, I grew up in a Christian home with parents that modeled uh, biblical principles related to our finances. They taught me as a kid to manage my money. They taught me to tithe as a, as a kid. Uh, the first $1,000 that I gave to missions was early in high school. And I always had good jobs. I was always able to live and be generous. I always was able to tithe, and I understood principles like living, you know, uh, not living beyond my means. I kind of have developed what I would say is like a culture within our home that we, at, at the McDonald's house, we don't live beyond our means. So next week, as we talk about the word debt, debt in the equivalent of our household would carry the same connotation as the word adultery. It's just something we don't get into. It's not an option other than our mortgage. But I was taught and I was raised to put God first in every area of my life, to be free financially speaking, and that when you apply God's word in your life, it actually it, it works, it produces. I want that freedom for our church, which is why we're not in debt. We've never been in debt and we'll, you know, Lord willing, never be in debt outside of a, you know, healthy debt like perhaps a mortgage. But who wants a mortgage if you can pay in cash, right? I want that for you personally. I want you on a Sunday morning to be able to lift your hands to God and say, whom the sun sets free. And you not be stressing about how are you going to pay the light bill this week. I believe that as you put God first and you live by the word that you can be free financially speaking. So that's what we're going to talk about over the next several weeks. And, you know, not every church operates kind of based on these principles. There are a lot of places they're in debt up to their ears. They have spent the, the offering before it even comes in that particular week. We are free, financially speaking, as a church, and you should be free as well. And so the challenge is how do, how do we get there? So let me put your mind at ease, okay? We're not raising any money for anything. We're done taking the offering. There's no hidden agenda. There's no just, you know, whatever. Uh, here's what I believe. I believe that people are incredibly generous. People are incredibly generous. You guys are incredibly generous. Recently, I was uh, just talking about the potential of a missions project, and somebody from our congregation was like just kind of within ears distance of it, and, and I, they said, if you go in that, if you want to do that, they said, I'll give the first 5,000. It wasn't even something we decided to do. It's just like a thought. I believe people are, are, are very generous. They want to be generous. They struggle to get there. But they have it within, within their heart. I believe that people are not stingy, but they're strapped financially. I believe people are not, at, at, at Christians especially, they're not greedy, but they're upside down, a lot of them financially speaking. I believe they've become a prisoner to their finances. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to ask the Lord, Lord, would you speak to us from your word about our finances? And, you know, it, when you can't make minimum, you know, credit card payments, it's hard to be generous. And unfortunately, people are there. You'll see on the screen, 2 Corinthians 3.17, it says that the Lord is spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. This uh, verse in scripture is a bold declaration or of the deity of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is God. 
in Corinth, the people were depending on the law of God to change people's lives. And Paul says it's only through the agent of the Holy Spirit that spiritual transformation takes place. And so the law brings bondage, but where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And you now carry that presence within you, and so you should be free. And that's my heart for you. That's my heart for our community. There is great joy when you see people walking in freedom, right? There's great joy when you see people walking in freedom. And I know that there are people, maybe even in this room, that you're drowning financially speaking. You're concerned and you're worried. You may give the illusion that at times, you know, you're free and everything's okay. But at the end of the day, you're struggling. And the Bible says that people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. And so my heart as we progress forward in each of these teaching series is you get a revelation from the word of God and you stand on it in whatever particular area that we're talking about, starting with financial freedom. Jesus taught more about money than the Great Commission, talked more about money than family relationships, talked more about money than the second coming because he knew that money was tied directly to our hearts, the heart representing the mind and the will and the emotions. And so Jesus taught so much about money. Two things that I want to mention before we really dive into this. Uh, number one is, as we continue in these series, uh, I'm going to make our notes, uh, my notes available online. And so um, people have asked for that before. And so what we're going to be doing, you'll see a, a link on the screen. You'll be able to pull up. This is not going to be like an expository series where it's like one text, but there's a bunch of different texts related to the topic. So you'll be able to jump on the website and download. So this morning's notes are already there. You can download them. And then secondly, as you leave, uh, and it'll start next week, there's kind of a supplementary book. And so for this, the next four weeks, it's going to be the treasure principle. And so that'll be available in the foyer. There'll be a little box there. You can put in whatever you feel like paying for the book. So I don't want to get into selling stuff every week. So if you can afford $2, put $2 in. If you want to pay for somebody else's book, put, put whatever in, in the box and it'll work out. All right? 78% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. And 4 out of 10 don't have enough money in the bank to pay for a $400 emergency. And so people go to seminars, they look at books, they boil it down to a numbers-only approach. Numbers-only. Say those two words, numbers-only. Numbers-only. Now, if you were sitting down with, uh, you know, a financial advisor, right, you're, you're going to find somebody that's very logical, right? You're not going to find your, you know, nephew that's working part-time at a restaurant and just likes living by his feelings and emotions, right? That's not the guy you go get financial advice. You sit down in an office. You're going to sit across the desk from a very logical person. And they're going to share with you five key things. And then we're going to talk about what God's word says specifically about these five things. But we'll start with these five things. So we're talking logical right now, right? They're going to share with you five things. How many are there? Okay. What are the five laws? Number one, the law of income. Okay, it's easy to manage zero, right? I mean, it's easy. But the law of income basically says, you know what? If you're going to be free, financially speaking, you're going to have to get a job, 
you're going to have to go make some money. Income really helps. So that advisor is going to say, you've got to get serious about your earnings. So if you're not making enough money now, you're going to need to take on a second job. You're going to need to work on the weekends. You're going to need to cover extra shifts because it's all about the numbers. More income is a better thing, right? That's what a logical financial person is going to say. They're going to say, you work with your hands and you're paid to produce. Unfortunately, even with number one here, this is just logical. We're going to jump in the word in a minute. They're going to, you know, unfortunately in our society, we're even screwing this one up. Because people are being taught now at a very young age, you don't have to work in order to get money. There's this thing out there called the government. And as long as you can kind of work the system, you don't really have to work. And there's some states now where people will drive a 25-year-old car. They'll put $20,000 in leather interior and sound systems and TVs and all that kind of stuff. They'll spend tens of thousands of dollars on the interior of the car because it doesn't trigger the welfare system that looks at the year of the car. So people have been trained to work the system. So you're going to sit with a financial advisor. They're going to say, get a job, start making some money. Now, as a parent, and many of you are parents, right? We've got young kids in the home. There are chores that our kids have to do. But I would submit to you that beyond the chores, understand they're growing up in a culture that's teaching them that they can be paid without working. So as a parent, practically speaking, in the home, start giving them things to do and close the gap between work and money. So, yeah, you want to go do this? Sure. You know, go, go do whatever in the house, and I'll give you some money for your work and do it. Train your kids. Fight that system that unfortunately many of our kids are, are in today where they're almost taught like life just kind of happens and it all works out at the end of the day. You know what? You're going to have to get a job. You're going to have to work and you're going to have to get some income. Second thing the financial person is going to say is the law of spending, right? Spend below your income. As simple as that is, unfortunately, that's not true in most American households. So the financial person is going to say, they're going to say, create some margin. Margin in life is like the secret sauce. When it comes to your time, when it comes to your schedule, when it comes to money, if you spend less than you make, there's some margin there, and that's a really good thing. So you're going to have to sit down with a budget, and they're going to sit across the table. They're going to say, you know what, write a budget out and track your spending and you know, you would think that this would be different for Christians than kind of the everyday Joe on the street. But the reality is that many Christians can't even spend below their income. You know, we, we believe in God. I mean, he's our source. He takes care of me. And it'll all work out at the end of the day. Not necessarily. There's wisdom in planning and stewarding the resources that God has entrusted to you. Read the story of the parable of the talents. The third thing he's going to say, sitting across the desk from you, this is logic, okay? The law of savings. So there's emergencies that happen, right? There's contingencies, and you need kind of like a, a cushion, and if four out of ten don't even have $400 for an emergency, that should not be true about us. We should have a savings. We should be prepared for things that happen. Now, when I was in college and just trying to work it out, my first job, when I was full-time at the Bible college, paid $12,000 a year. doesn't get you a whole lot other than ramen noodles and a pillow. 
I remember coming home from breaks and taking my car to Midas for inspection, which is like to me the biggest scam in the world, but nobody asked. And so I would drop my car off for inspection and that phone call would come. And to me, it was an unsettling feeling because I was gonna go, it's gonna go one of two ways. Zach, you can come pick your car up or Zach, you've got a list of some repairs and that single phone call potentially had the ability to wipe out my entire net worth in one phone call, right? I, I didn't have savings. Thank God I had parents, right? <laughs> but you know what? You should mature beyond that. As a Christian, as somebody that has the word of God, you shouldn't have phone calls that are unsettling. To, if that's the case, then Midas is your God, right? They're going to say, Sit across the desk, it's very logical. Make some money, spend less than you make, save some money. They're gonna say, it's the law of investing. They're all about numbers, right? So there are investment opportunities, investments are wise, and you work for your money, and now your money should be working for you. They're gonna teach you the magic of things like compounding interest that you know a 21-year-old can take $3.50 a day, put it in an interest-bearing account, and at the age of 65, that $52,800 has now turned into $355,000 because of the magic of compound interest. So logically speaking, this is what they're going to say. And then they're going to talk about the law of giving, maybe. Maybe. I mean, this is a logical perspective. They're going to maybe even see it as counterproductive. Right? Most people are not real enthused about giving. Americans give away annually about 2 to 5%. The average Christian gives away about 2.5%. During the Great Depression, it was 3.3%. That's pretty amazing to think about. Statistically speaking, the American church was ge more generous during the Great Depression. So from a logical standpoint, right? Are we talking about Bible? No, we're talking logic. They're going to say, Make money, spend less than you make, save, invest, maybe give. And that's pretty much all you're going to walk away with. And so my question is, is that the only perspective that we're to have as a Christian? Is that it? Because if it is, let's just get to work and do it. But my heart for you is that you have revelation from the word of God. We don't check wisdom at the door. We don't check budgets at the door. We don't just say, it's all going to work out. No, we have, we have wisdom from the word of God. And we've got to look beyond the numbers. We've got to look beyond logic and say, God, would you give me your perspective? Two scriptures you'll see on the screen. The first is 1 Corinthians uh, 1.20. Where, where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has God not made, or has, God, has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? There are some things in life as a Christian that human reasoning will not necessarily solve. You've got to get to the point that you realize that God is a source of wisdom and that the Height of man's wisdom is foolishness in the eyes of Almighty God. He is wise. Isaiah 55, 
He says, my thoughts aren't like your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. He's like, Zach, don't ever make the mistake to think that your wisdom is on any way, shape, or form in the same playing field as the wisdom that God has. He does things that are beyond human reasoning. His ways are beyond our human comprehension. When people try to take God and kind of make him after our own image, we try to conclude that he thinks the way that we think. He acts and does like we do. And the reality is he is so far above. It's pretty amazing to me that Christians will trust God with our eternal destinies. Forgiveness of sin. And yet we have a hard time trusting him as a financial advisor. The Bible says that we live by faith and not by sight. So God, if you're like the CFO of the economic universe, what does your word say about my money? Say my money. Well, you already messed up. And it's not yours. It's his, right? So let's talk about those five things. What does the Bible say about income, spending, right? We'll continue forward. So the first law of financial advisor is going to say it's the law of income. It's about compensation. Do whatever you can to get more income. And I would say to you, as a Christian, you should have a totally different perspective. I think the perspective isn't find an income, but it's find your calling. Find your calling. Lord, what have you called me to do? Life is so much more than compensation, right? If you have a calling from God, it is much more important than income. And here's why. You can't buy happiness. You can't buy fulfillment. And I can promise you, I could introduce you to a lot of independently wealthy, miserable people. You can't buy fulfillment in life. And the Bible kind of gives us an interesting teaching that if you trust God, if you follow your calling, you may not necessarily be rich, but you will supernaturally be blessed in life. Acts chapter 20, Luke puts it this way in verse 24. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if I may finish the race and complete the task that the Lord has given me. The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Recently, I talked from Ephesians chapter 2. You'll see it again on the screen. Verse 10. We are God's workmanship or his handiwork created in Christ to do good works which God has prepared in advance for us. I think it's critically important for young people. I think it's critically important equally for people that have chosen a career path. What do you feel like God has called you to do? I mean, more than just, yeah, my life's a living sacrifice, yeah, like I love God and it all just works out and I just kind of like go with the flow. What are the areas that your passion, your giftedness, and your calling align? Where is the area that your passions, that come from God, right, as a Christian, your calling and your areas of giftedness, what are, where do those three things collide? Because when you can find the area in which those three things intersect, your job will never be a job. You can build a life 
that you find absolute fulfillment and satisfaction in. If you get on your knees and say, God, specifically, what have you called me to do? What am I passionate about? If you're not sure about that, here's the question to ask. God, what is a problem in our world today that will benefit people that you've called me to be part of that solution? What is a problem in our world today to the embetterment of people that you've called me to be part of the solution to? Where am I passionate? Where am I gifted, right? If you don't know where you're gifted, ask your spouse. They'll tell you where you're not gifted in. Right? Where am I gifted? And where do I have that sense of, of calling? I believe in this because this is true for Ashley and I, and it's always been true. We have never felt like ministry was a job. You will never hear me say it's a job. <laughs> Promise you. Okay? We're passionate about the local church. We believe it's the hope of the world. We have a sense of calling that started as a middle schooler that I knew that I would be in ministry. I never looked at any other option, any other option. Didn't even, not even like fleeting thoughts. We knew, I knew specifically in middle school that's what I was going to do. And hopefully there's like maybe a hint of giftedness. And I say that humbly as happy a leaf in a board, you know. Your passion, your giftedness, and your area of callings. And when you do, when these three things intersect, you can build a life that you don't necessarily need a vacation from. All right? So many people, they're living for the next trip. And I would say when you get serious with God and you find these three things and where they collide, you can build a life that you don't necessarily want to take a break from. Sure, it's good to go spend time with the family and so forth, but I'll tell you, the last thing in the world that I'm thinking about is when's the next vacation. I promise you. It's not even like, it's just, it's just life. That's like what we do. And you say, well, you're a pastor. No, we have a sense of calling, and you're to have the same thing as well. Ministry to us is like a perpetual blessing. It's never something we have to do. It's something we're honored and privileged to do. But when you find your calling, compensation will follow your calling. When you have that sense, because you're going to sit across the desk from an advisor, they're going to say it's all about income, and I would submit to you as a Christian, when you step out in that area of calling, compensation will follow. It's not simply a numbers game. Let's talk about how it affects the area of income. Across the desk, they're going to say spend less than what you earn, create a sense of margin. God says something actually totally different. Essentially, he says, I want to free you from the stranglehold of stuff in this life. Look at what Paul says about learning about contentment. Philippians chapter 4. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether being well fed or well, whether being hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. You know, this verse kind of captures quite a bit of Paul's testimony. He's like, I know what it was like to have very little. This word that's used actually is a word that is described as like voluntary, voluntarily accepting like a low status in life. It's the word that was used when Jesus said, who being in very nature God didn't consider equality with something to be grasped, equality with God to be something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. 
Paul's like, I knew what that was like. I knew what it was like to take on that sense of a lowly status in life. He also said, I know what it is to be in plenty. He says the exact opposite. He says, I know what it is to have overflowing resources. Perhaps it was when he was an influential Pharisee. He knew what abundance was like. He was hosted in the home of Lydia, who was very wealthy. He probably had very uh, you know, wealthy, perhaps, dinners in that home. We know from the time that he was in the Isle of Malta that he goes as a shipwrecked prisoner and immediately he's staying in the governor's house of the island for three days. As he leaves and he departs, the Bible says the Maltese people showered him with high honor gifts. And Paul is basically saying, I know what it is to have more than I could want. I know what it is to have very little. But he said, I've learned the secret of being content. He's saying, my possessions don't identify me. My circumstances as a child of God do not identify me. Unfortunately, possessions in the life of a Christian can be a very dangerous thing if they're linked to your identity. And I would submit to you today, if there is something that you own, if there is something that you strive to achieve, that in any way, shape, or form you want to possess as part of your identity for people to notice and to recognize you, that has become an idol and a God. And it's something you need to either give away or get rid of. Because God's not interested in sharing that seat in your heart. Your circumstances and your possessions have nothing to do with your identity in Christ. Paul's like, I know what it's like to have very little. I know what it's like to have a lot, but I've learned that regardless of the increase or the decrease of my material possessions, it doesn't have anything to do with my satisfaction. God wants to take you from consumerism to contentment and free you from the desire to pursue more, always wanting for the next thing. Paul's like, it's a great joy. That you can have a full life without things and still be truly satisfied. I have enough. What's the next thing that you've bought into the light? If I just had the next house, the next vacation house, the newer car, the next thing, I'll be happy. Paul's like, don't, don't make the mistake. Don't buy the lie that possessions and circumstances define us. The word that's used, he says it's like that he's content. When you think of this word, think contain. So I have this Tupperware. And if I were to take this Tupperware and fill it with water, it's contained, right? What Paul is saying is he's saying my life in the context of what I'm going through, whether it's being showered with gifts on an island or sitting on a cold floor In a prison, he says, I'm satisfied in what's contained within me. He's saying that it's only in understanding my identity in Christ. He's like, it's a secret, but contentment is rooted in your relationship with Christ. It's contained with what's within you. It comes from communion with, with the Lord that you can actually be completely satisfied In Jesus, in him alone. You don't believe that. Go on a missions trip. You'll quickly come to that realization. 
people have very little, and yet they're content and they're satisfied. Later on, he'll write to his protege, Timothy. He says in 1 Timothy 6, 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Material wealth, the uncertainties of life, all of those things, they come and go. But Paul is saying, I've learned this through my experience over the years. He's not saying this is like imputed to me. It's not like I came and became a Christian. All of a sudden, you know, contentment was just like put there. And he's like, no, I've learned this. And it's not even really a secret. He's saying, look at my life. And he's saying, I've learned this secret that I can be satisfied in Jesus. They'll sit across the desk and say, save. Save, save, what are you going to do if there's a disaster? You don't have any money. What if you get sick? They're going to provoke you with fear from a logical standpoint. What does God's word say? Sure, we're supposed to be wise about our savings. Proverbs chapter 6 deals with three enemies that can potentially destroy a person. Financially, physically, morally. Look at what it says. It says, go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. I love this. The Bible's like, hey, when you get a chance this spring day, Lord willing, <laughs> no, go outside. He's like, look at the ant. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in the summer and gathers its food for harvest. Solomon's like, hey, by the way, just look at the virtue of diligence. Look at the value of a hard work as an ant. Put that in context with our American society today that wants to simply get without working. Solomon's like, hey, go outside, by the way, and watch the ants. Inspect, intentionally look at, and you're going to find some wise principles. You're going to find that they're, they have discipline. They have diligence without even supervision. They're out there working. There's no leader kind of lining all the ants up and, hey, by the way, you know, they're not forcing them, but they're naturally taking initiative. They're naturally preparing for their future, right? They, they're disciplined about saving. They're preparing for the future. And he's saying that should be the principle in our lives as well. The cost of your bad habits is in the future, but the cost of your good habits are actually in the present. So many people lack the small disciplines that will consistently lead to big results over time. And you can't be free financially without understanding that. Successful people in every area of life do consistently what everybody else does conveniently. Well, someday I'll save. Someday I'll win the lottery. Someday and someday and someday and you look back and all of a sudden 50 years has passed and you've got nothing. Learn to do consistently. Be wise about saving. And here's the thing, it's not from a fear perspective, right? God is your source. God is your provider. God is your protector and defender. So it's not based on fear you don't have to worry about anything, Matthew says. Don't worry about anything. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? He says the pagans run after those things. Your heavenly father knows that you need them. 
But be wise, be practical, because I know that in people's hearts, they want to be generous, but it's just getting there. How about investing? Across from the desk, they're going to just say, build your earthly portfolio. Just build it. Diversify it. Build your earthly portfolio. And yet the word of God says, maybe, you know, go that route, but that's just like the starting point. The Bible talks a lot about treasures in heaven. Starting next week, for the next three weeks, the book will be available, Treasure Principles. And I, I, I spoke specifically about this book last fall, and so you can catch that online. But I would challenge you to get the book. Written by an author who had his uh, resources basically um, held up because of a lawsuit. And very quickly learned what it was like to be content having money with no access to money and still being satisfied. Treasures in heaven, Matthew chapter 6, it says, Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Store up treasures in heaven. Jesus is not in any way, shape, or form impressed with any earthly investment. He paves streets with gold. Your bank account is not a wealth unto to him. He's not interested. He's not impressed by those things. Neither does he, you know, condemn saving for the future or having certain treasuries and so forth. But he's deeply concerned with your attitude towards money, that there's no hope in it, that there's no security in it, that your faith is not rooted in your bank account. He says there's a totally different treasury that you can spend your life investing in. Our resources are never to be our object of affection. Don't hold on to things tightly. You know, one of the practical things we do in our house pretty consistently is we just give stuff away to get it out of the house. I've been in too many people's houses that look like a storage unit that somebody else is going to have to deal with when you pass from this life into eternity. It's not our place. I don't even want my kids to have the hint of us storing up things on the earth in our attic and in our closets and in our bedrooms. We receive and we give. We receive and we give. Our house is never going to be a storage unit because we're not building up treasuries on this earth. In fact, when I go on mission trip, I ask my kids to give me toys to give away to kids. I want them to know at a young age, you're to be not a burden on a society. You're to be, as a Christian, a blessing. You're to be the giver. You're not to be the needy person all the time. I understand people go through difficulties, right? And that's our role as a church, to help people. But I'll tell you, when you apply God's word, you're not a burden consistently over time. You are to be a blessing. Our kids just gave $370 to a church that we're going to visit in a couple weeks in Mexico. And they're offerings. So some of you are teaching this to your kids, and that's awesome. Storing up treasures in heaven. There are some very wealthy people that are going to slip from this life into eternity and be very poor. They'll be happy in heaven, right? But I'll tell you, there are some very poor people on the earth that are going to be very wealthy in heaven because they've stored up, they've laid up treasures in their heavenly portfolio. For where your treasure is, the Bible says your heart is. Lord, I want to put your kingdom first in every area of my life. God, I want to have a passion for people. 
God, I want to have a heart for people. Lord, I want to have a, write a check. And your heart will quickly get aligned with the thing that you're sowing into. Isn't that true? You give to whatever. You know, start giving to dog shelter or whatever in town. Start writing them a $1,000 check every month. I promise you, your heart's going to start. There's going to be something there. Because Jesus taught your heart follows, right? Your heart. So store up treasures in, in heaven. Did I say we're not taking an offering? Did I say this is like, I want this for you. I want this for you. I want you to have a teenager like I was in the home, being able at a young age to have a job and be able to work hard and be able to give to missions and to shape that, that just demon of more, more, more. Matthew 13, it says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went home and sold all that he had and bought the field. So focus on your calling over compensation. Contentment over consumerism. Wisdom, right, over fear. Savings not out of fear. Focus on the principles of heaven. Lord, I want to put your kingdom first instead of the kingdoms of this earth, right? And then number five. Make giving the goal of your life, as the worship team comes up. Make giving the goal of your life. Acts 20, 35, the Lord Jesus himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. I know you have within you the desire to be generous. I don't think you can have Christ's nature within you. And be stingy. I just don't, I just, a vibrant relationship with Jesus lives in generosity. And unfortunately, the challenge is, how do you get from where you are to where you want to be? Most people want to be the person that says, I'm I'm the next 5,000 person. I'm the next one that wants to do big things for God. I'm the next one that wants to do that. But you can't do it unless you're free financially speaking. And so that's what we're going to continue to talk about over the next several weeks. What do I do to get there? More than just like praying a prayer and Lord it all. You know, what are the practical things from the word of God? Because you can't give what you don't have, right? I mean, you can't, you can't. I, I hope you know that I don't preach sermons that are out of theory that some other guy said, right? A pastor is to deliver something that they carry, they possess it, they understand it. It's like within their spirit. It's not just like head knowledge to head knowledge, but there's like, and that's my heart, it's from the word that you get like this impartation of like, Lord, this is what you say about my finances. And this is what you say about freedom. And instead of taking my experience and taking the word of God and saying, God, I'm just gonna reduce your word to my experience and wrestle that out, Lord, I just whether it's healing or faith or financial freedom, Lord, this is where I'm at and this is what your word says. I'll just kind of take it down here and say, well, it doesn't necessarily work for everyone else. My heart for you is that you fight to take your level of experience and raise it to the reality of where you are in Christ. That you carry within you the power to walk in absolute contentment. Somebody could give you 
a $100,000 sports car and it would have absolutely nothing to do with your identity. It would have absolutely nothing to do with your satisfaction because you are a child of God. You have that rooted within your spirit. Things don't and never will define me. Paul says it's like a secret, but it's really not because he's telling us. And it's only when you begin to realize these things that you can start walking in freedom. You can be someone that's incredibly generous. Many of you are, and it's awesome. It's awesome, but you've got to be free to get there, right? When the sun sets free is what? He's free. He's free. But now, Lord, would you give me a revelation from your word? How do I get there? So next week, we're going to talk about one of the biggest dangers. Biggest dangers. There is nothing in scripture that God says favorably about debt. Nothing. 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 You say, well, are you going to make me feel bad if I have credit cards? No, that's not. I promise you. There's no condemnation to those that are in Christ. But I'll tell you, when you read this book, there is nothing favorably speaking about debt. And I would submit to you that debt is the easiest way to rob every one of the fruits of the Spirit out of your life very quickly. Good luck trying to have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control when you're seated and living in debt where there's no ability for you to get out of that. But once you start realizing this is where I'm at, and God, this is where you're calling me, want to fight to raise my experience to your standard that I actually want to get to the point that I can be the lender and not the borrower oh man in American Christianity today that's like laughable talk oh I need to borrow $10,000 well we've got a pile of people in the church that are free financially that are willing to do that they're willing to write up a contract with you because they've been blessed financially speaking we'd love to be able to lend you money could you imagine that like that's laughable in american christianity yet the bible says that you and i at times can be the lender and not the borrower but you've got to start where you're at and understand lord your heart is for me to be free in every area and the truth of the matter is God is an incredibly generous God, isn't he? You look at your life outside of Christ, try to convince me he's not generous. For God so loved the world, what? He gave. What did he give? His very best. His very best for you, for me. We carry that nature within us. You and I are to be exceedingly generous in every area stand this morning maybe you're here today you don't have a relationship with Jesus the good news of the gospel is that God loved you that he saw who you are outside of his righteousness the Bible says that he sent his son to this earth God in the flesh to live an innocent life, die a criminal's death so that through his gift to you, 
you can be in right standing before God, not on your own righteousness, but in his righteousness. God loved you and he gave his son for you. And I'll tell you, if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you say, how could I accept Jesus on a day you're talking about money? No, we're talking generosity. God's generosity to you. That's salvation, right? Eternity in heaven is nothing you're going to achieve on your own strength. I don't care how charitable you are. If you don't know Jesus, you won't go to heaven. Salvation's a gift that you receive by faith. It's not something that you'll ever achieve on your own strength. And so today's the perfect day for you in a minute. As our leaders come, I invite our leaders to come forward. You have the opportunity in a minute as the worship team goes back into our, our song this morning just to respond and they'll lead you to Jesus today. They'll point you to him. And Jesus will transform your life in every area. You'll lay your head to bed at night and have peace with God. You'll know beyond just total assurance that your sins are forgiven. Maybe you're just here today, you're struggling financially speaking. You need a miracle. You need the ability to apply God's word. Maybe you're just sick in body. As the worship team comes, any particular area that you'd like to receive prayer, we'd love the opportunity to pray for you. The Bible says that you're to ask and to come to the leaders of the church. They're going to pray the prayer of faith and that the Lord's going to do a miracle in your life this morning. There are people that are here today that are sick. You're going to walk out with bodies that are strong, healthy, and whole. Whatever your need is today, I'd invite you to come as the worship team leads. We'd love the opportunity to pray for you before we dismiss. And if not, feel free to sing. Thank you for tuning in to the Access Church Podcast of the Week. We hope that you are both challenged and encouraged by this message.